Good morning, afternoon, evening. I may be in the movie capital of the world, but movies really live wherever you come together in theaters or in your homes to share great stories told on the screen. And today we celebrate that thanks to the nearly 9,500 voting members of the Academy. They're movie makers, sure, but really movie lovers about to share the films they've loved the most this year. I hope you're doing the same with your friends and your family. Now's the time. Movie lovers unite. Let's meet your announcement host. Hello, gorgeous, and welcome to Spro and Lee Take on the Academy, the only podcast where two guys bitch about the Oscar nominations but watch the movies anyway in order to spew their opinions into your ear holes. How you feeling, Sprobot? I don't like the nickname Sprobot. <laughs> oh, I got more. I got more. I'm good. I'm good. I was slightly hungover from festivities last night. How are you? I'm good. All right. I'm good. Ready to get into uh, this shit. This caps off. Like, this is like the official end of season two. I don't know if we want to come back and talk about the Oscars. I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of surprises. I'm pretty sure, like, pretty much everything right now is a lock. The only time things get, like, surprising is when the other award show, since the Academy Awards is last, like, if the BAFTAs or anybody, like, throws out a new idea, then everybody starts scrambling to figure out what's going on with the Academy. Academy Awards. So this is kind of like our our last, last episode, season two. And re-listening to our episodes of this season, I feel like it was almost like my villain journey. I ranted a lot. Mm-hmm. I ranted on Spielberg. I ranted on the LA Times. SAG-AFTRA, of course. Spike Lee. Man, I feel like I even broke your brother's heart, Lawrence, saying I didn't like the Dark Crystal. <laughs> Just rant, rant, rant. So I'm almost embarrassed considering when we started, you were the one who didn't like the Academy. And through the year, I felt Mm. myself turning. I had like a huge kind of (laughs) Academy Awards crisis, but we're not going to stop. Like, I'm not going to stop with this episode. Well, I'm going to try and curb it a little bit for season three and try to talk more positive. You know, they say, don't don't point out a problem unless you have a solution. So I'm going to try to be more of the solution in season three. But today, still not liking all I'm uncovering. Okay, so, so doesn't sound like you're going to be able to bottle that poison entirely. No, 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 because here's my trouble. <laughs> <laughs> with everything we have learned thus far, we learned that the Academy is filled with film professionals. Those film professionals are campaigned by the studios to be nominated based on the fact the Golden Globes got in trouble for accepting gifts and trips and being wined and dined. We know the Academy does not, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, accept anything like this. (laughs) But still, the films we see here, the films on these nomination lists, none are really that surprising. I wish there was almost an asterisk next to the film names that said, you know, quote unquote, campaigned. Or, or lobbied for um, just to know which ones were nominated on merit alone. Just like our congressmen should have to wear their lobbyist patches so we know who's in bed with the NRA and Exxon and such. Mm, Getting pretty political. I'll agree with you. <laughs> I think campaigning for anything has potential to, to be an ugly look, but politicking for Oscar noms is a special kind of repugnant if you ask me. It is. And it's like the, it's the accepted practice, you know, like they take out ads like for your consideration, like that's figuring out who is the best at something should have nothing to do with who's like jammed down your throat, mm-hmm. you know? So when I say there's a problem with the nomination process, it's merely this, right? Nobody likes homework. I get that. We all get that. Gone are the days when work stayed at work. Well, speak for yourself. You don't take any work home? I mean, <laughs> I mean, probably nowhere near as often as I should. So, but for people working in the film industry, which is a lot of the Academy voting members, that's typically how you get in. 
these people are not the typical moviegoers. These are the people who accept the screeners in the mail and therefore vote and nominate the movies that are given to them. I've lived in LA. I know a lot of film professionals. A lot of people that are out making films don't want to go home and watch movies. They want to go home and watch like Bravo, you know, mindless, mind-numbing trash entertainment to get as far away from what they have to deal with 12 to 16 hours a day already. I'd like to say then to hell with those lazy bastards. Send me send me the digital screener links. I'll watch all, all the movies nominated. I'll watch them all twice. But I do feel you. It is work. I think the research and the viewing and the writing that we do for our regular episodes feels different, thankfully. I, there's something more interesting about going back in time than there is watching all the important movies of the year or last year, I guess, in a high-speed burn of like a 60-day cram session. It's a grind. It's a fucking grind, and I, I kind of hate it. There's two problems here, is that the screeners are, you know, for any movie kind of that's being campaigned for. So those come out, and people will, like I've sat in rooms where they all go, oh my gosh, I just got t- like 20 screeners in the mail. And then they ask their friends, like, well, what did you watch? What did you like? And then the people will be like, well, I really liked House of Gucci. And so the House of Gucci is the one that, okay, I'm going to watch that one tonight. And that's what kind of like trickles down. But before even that happens, there's so many movies that like just fly under the radar, don't get watched at all because they're not campaigned for or they were released at the beginning of the year and they're forgotten about. And these movies never see the screener envelope. They never see the award stage. And I think that is like the first pinnacle problem that these people, the Academy of Voters are not the ones going to see a movie every two to three days or even every day like some critics might have to do. And so therefore, the pool is extremely thin when it gets all the way to the end of the year. Take last year. Last year was a very slow year for movies. Only 408 were released to be considered by the Oscars last year, which means that they had a theatrical run. They were in the theaters. Even with 23 awards to give out, 17 of which are open to all 408 films, you know, excluding animateds and documentaries and such. Even with 90 potential spots for 90 different movies to be able to say Academy Award nominee, while the Oscars spread those 90 awards out across only 24 films. Wow. I mean, if that sounds like, think about how Power of the Dog has 12 of those nominations, 12 of those 90. Dune has 10. Between those two films, 22 nominations of the 90 are taken away. Like 25% of the potential Academy Award nominations went to only two films. And then you have West Side Story and Belfast. Those have seven each. So like almost half of the nominations that can be given out to films of 2021 are for only four films. Does that to you sound like the Academy Awards did their homework? Did they just mail it in like their screeners were mailed to them? Essentially, the people who hold the key to the biggest film awards of the year only considered about 1% of the films out there award worthy. Is that true? (laughs) Is, you know, like, is this what Hollywood is giving us now is only 1% of their films should be addressed at the Academy Awards? Or is the nomination process, the movie viewing in Hollywood lazy? Is it poor research or even a poorer setup on how things are done? Granted, I could just be wrong. Could these just be the cream of the crop, the best of the best? Well, I polished my pearls, I powdered my nostrils, and I haven't eaten solid food since Friday. Movie lovers unite, it's Oscar night. Let's get into it. (laughs) 
So what do what do we mean by the fact that like there's going to be like no surprises? And really, when you look at it, there's no reason that there are 10 movies nominated for Best Picture, considering the fact that going into every single awards, there's at least six to seven of them that, you know, have no snowballs chance in hell in winning. The 10 films are The Power of the Dog, West Side Story, Belfast, Dune, King Richard, Coda, Licorice Pizza, Drive My Car, Don't Look Up, and Nightmare Alley. And which are the only movies out of those 10 that actually have a chance? Power of the Dog, Belfast, and I really hate to say it, Don't Look Up. See, and my research kind of shows that it's Power of the Dog, West Side Story, Belfast are the top three. I could see Don't Look Up taking Best Picture before West Side Story, but we can get into it. (laughs) First, let's say what should have been on this list. In my opinion, I think Maggie Gyllenhaal is The Lost Daughter. I thought it was the most interesting of all the Oscar movies I saw. Should any of these have been left off the list? And I think both of us would agree that uh, Don't Look Up has no business on this list. Let's start there. I heard there's an asteroid or a comet or something that you don't like the looks of. (sighs) Tell me about it. You got 20 minutes. 20 minutes? Go. Uh, A comet between five to 10 kilometers across that we estimate came from the Oort cloud. And using Gauss's method of orbital determination and the average astrometric uncertainty of 0.04. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. I'm so bored. Just tell us what it is. Seriously, stop. What Dr. Mindy is trying to say is that there's a comet headed directly towards Earth. And then what happens, like a tidal wave? It will be far more catastrophic. There will will be mile-high tsunamis. So how certain is this? There's 100% certainty of impact. Please, don't say 100%. Can we just call it a potentially significant event? But it isn't potentially going to happen. 99.78% to be exact. Oh, great. Okay, so it's not 100%. I'm gonna call it 70% and let's just, let's move on. But it's not even close to 70%. Let's just use like 60% as a working number. Okay, we're gonna get our own scientists on this, you know, no offense. Dr. Mindy is a tenured professor of astronomy at Michigan State. I'm sorry, did you say Michigan State? Exactly, they have an excellent astronomy department. You say so. You want to see my SAT scores? I'm sorry. Who is she? Are you her son? I'm chief of staff boy with the dragon tattoo, so I'm doing fine. How many tampons can you put in that bag? As many as I want. At this very moment, I say we sit tight and assess. Sit tight and assess. Sit tight and, and assess? You want us to sit tight. And then assess. Surprising to me is our social media department put on Instagram a poll on like, did you enjoy Don't Look Up? And of course I saw that and I was like, well, I'm going to make my voice known. And I voted no. And I was the only person at that time. I think there was, I mean, there was a wealth of votes, but I was the only one that said no. And I was like, how am I this wrong? Like I could be. I feel like I agree with 50% of the critics that said it wasn't a good movie. I didn't like it. And despite the fact that I didn't like it and the fact that it's gotten pretty unfair favorable reviews, the casual people seem to dig it. You know, you and I are the only people I know personally who didn't care for it. And it's a bummer because I wanted this movie to work. I needed it to be funny and damning and undeniable, sort of like a Dr. Strangelove for our crazy times. And there's, you know, some moments that work, but by and large, it was a letdown. I've enjoyed McKay's last couple of movies. I thought Big Short was enjoyable. I even liked Vice, which a lot of people said was a step down, but this got away from him. The story is too ambitious and too sprawling 
and the meaning becomes inarticulate until that like tacked on ending. I think there's like seedlings of good ideas and great characters, but because of the pacing and the constant diversions of the story or the sheer size of the story, they just go nowhere. I think satire should be funny, which Don't Look Up struggles to do whenever Jonah Hill is not on screen. And it should be absurd. And I don't know, I think we might have entered a post-absurd socio-political stage where reality is impervious to uh, satire. Perhaps that's the most tragic joke of the whole movie is that it doesn't feel that far-fetched. Adam McKay got into some trouble because, not some trouble, I guess he just got critiqued because anybody that critiqued the film and said it wasn't a good film, he would lash out, back out at on Twitter and say, well, you just don't care about climate change. Do you care about climate change? <laughs> Do I, that, I mean, that's such a loaded question. What am I, what am, what am I supposed to say? Of yes. Course, <laughs> yes. Well, of course I care about climate change. Am I doing anything about it? No, not really. Not really. It's weird that he that he's making it, though, about that and not about his movie. It's almost kind of like if you ever say you're against any war in front of the wrong people, then they're like, well, then you hate the troops. It's like, no, 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 that's a false equivalency. I hate the war and I love the troops. I hate your movie and I support climate change research. <laughs> I think the thing that fell flat with me with Don't Look Up is... When it comes to climate change, I side with more so the animals. I don't give a shit about Leonardo DiCaprio and like Hollywood elites view on climate change. And oh my gosh, we got to save the world so I could be in a mansion. I care about the polar bears on the ice. I care about the fish that are choking on plastic in the oceans. Like that is the climate change that I care about. With the characters that he presented, like I thought it was overacted, overwritten, overproduced, overdirected with everything that he put on the screen. I was like, I don't, I don't care. (laughs) I'm with you. Let's move. Let's move past it. Currently, the favorite to win, at least through my research, is Power of the Dog. Now, this is a divisive film. There's a lot of critics that really like it, but kind of the opposite of Don't Look Up. Critics enjoy it. Most people I've talked to really don't. I think I'm in the middle. It's definitely a beautiful looking Western with, I mean, if you want to call it a Western, with a dark and complicated story involving secrets and plotting and psychological torture and revenge. It's certainly lighthearted entertainment. As of this recording, it's favorited to take Best Picture, and I'm not sure if it has that Best Picture feel. The acting is very good. Um, I know you're not a huge fan of Kirsten Dunst, and I don't see the big deal with Jesse Plemons, but I think they're both cast pretty well here and play their roles as the innocence of the film. But obviously, you know, Cody Smith, McPhee, and Benedict Cumberbatch are the ones that everybody's talking about, and they're both very good, but much less likable. And I think that's the sticking point. It's because of their storyline that this movie takes on some pretty dark machinations. And I think if it doesn't end up winning Best Picture, it'll be because of that dark angle that it has. Let me ask you this, because we have already talked about this movie um, in our review episode, but maybe there is a fresh take that we can explore. You're a writer, Spro. What do you make of that title, Power of the Dog? Yeah, so it's hard to talk about the title of the movie without spoiling it. There's something, there is a pool that is out in the mountains for Benedict Cumberbatch's character that includes the privacy that the mountain gives for the life that he wants to lead or is scared of or you know can't repress 
It's the power of that pool, but the title certainly doesn't catch, you know, like anybody that talks to me about the Oscar, like all my family um, and some of the friends that are like, well, what's your view on the Oscars? Have you seen that dog movie? (laughs) (laughs) Do you listen to the podcast by the Hollywood Reporter called Awards Chatter? No. All right. Put that on your subscription list. It's really just, uh, it's almost like inside the actor's studio. If somebody is making the award circuit because they're nominated for a bunch of things, the interviewer has them sit down for like an hour, hour and a half interview conversation where they go all the way back to childhood and whatnot. Kirsten Dunst was just on it. And I was like, you know what? Gave her a bad shake. I really appreciate how Kirsten Dunst doesn't necessarily care about the script or the project. She falls in love with directors. And so like she was big with Sofia Coppola. She's now with Jane Campion. And she goes, you know what? Whatever those directors want from me, I will do for them. And it's like, I really like that take as an artist. And so I have come to appreciate Kirsten Dunst more after listening to that interview. The one thing about Power of the Dog that I don't understand is that to me, it's a lock for best cinematography. And some of the sites that I go to to um, see who is predicted to win is throwing that up to the film Dune, Mm -hmm. which is the next movie that we could talk about. To me, Dune, I wouldn't put it for best cinematography. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, one, it's a heavily CGI film. So I don't even know like what is real and what's not unless it's all real backdrops. Like Power of the Dog, you know, is like spot on middle America, which I love. Like that, my favorite thing about Power of the Dog was just the cinematography. And I was glued to that. I mean, Dune was a beautiful. It was a great film to watch, I thought, but I would not have said cinematography. Dune's going to win a lot of those visual technical awards. I'm not totally sold on it taking cinematography. I don't particularly remember too much about it that was amazing. It's, I mean, it's a spectacle and it's going to take a bunch of those technical awards, but not best picture. I, I hate to say it too, but it it, it didn't get me. Um, it's a really joyless experience that was either too melodramatic or boring. I don't know. If you loved it, I'm happy for you. Uh, I know I should probably see it again. I don't really want to. I think the way I feel about this movie is the way you felt about Tenet last year, but I I would still rather watch Tenet. I mean, I thought Tenet was just ridiculous and had no science behind it. <laughs> Where like Dune, like like I said, like I don't get into the Jedi portion of Star Wars. Like I really one of I think my favorite Star Wars uh, property is what John Favreau is doing now with Mandalorian. So Dune has that realistic edge to science fiction that I like. But I'm glad the stars died. I think the le- my least favorite thing about Dune one. You have this story that is regaled by fans. You don't need Josh Brolin to show up. You don't need Oscar Isaac in this movie. And so when like they're on the screen, I'm thinking about the actor. I'm thinking about the celebrity. I'm not thinking about the story anymore. And I feel like we are getting a little too celebrity obsessed in this country that we feel like we have to put them in every movie or have them in a movie to sell it. I am under the impression that celebrities probably aren't our best actors, but yet they're putting them in like three movies a year. Like, these aren't our greatest actors, so if we have a great role, perhaps we should find a great actor for that role instead of just giving it to the Matthew McConaughey's world. For four weeks, I lived with the Fremen, hidden in the desert in a community called the Siege. Stilgar, the leader of that Siege, has come with me to meet you, sire. This Siege, how was it hidden? It's underground. Arrakis is filled with caverns. How big was the place? I'd say 10,000 people. And there are hundreds of Sieges. 
Millions of Fremen. You were right. The Harkonnen estimate was 50,000 on the whole planet. The Fremen watched me search for them for days. I never saw them. Finally, they sent a warrior out to kill me. And I gotta tell you, I've never come so close to dying. There's no finer fighter in the Imperium. They fight like demons. Desert power. Duncan. Well done. Thank you, my lord. Sire, your leader has a knife he won't surrender, sire. It's a Chris knife. It's sacred to his people. Let him pass. I think Josh Brolin and Oscar Isaac, I wouldn't. They are not going to put asses in seats. They're not that level of celebrity. And I think they're both very good actors. But, I mean, Oscar Isaac was so boring in this movie. What a boring role. Right. And he reminded me who he was in Star Wars. Like, the fact that he's already got a science fiction franchise behind him, and then they throw him in Dune. Like, I'm surprised that no, like more people weren't like, I got kind of confused, <laughs> you know, like what I was watching. And Momoa, I get it. I get it, ladies. Beautiful hair, big muscles, cool tattoos. But he's he is a subtitle actor, meaning his best performance was Game of Thrones, because as long as you're reading the bottom of the screen, you're not realizing he's not great. He's not a great actor. And then there's a scene with Josh Brolin running and, or trying to look like he could run. And that was painful. Everything else about this movie, all the technical achievements, spot on. But I think those three roles should have gone to unknowns. And I'm surprised that Javier Bardem is getting such acclaim for his role in being the Ricardos, because I think his role in this was way better. And he was barely in this too. I know, but when he was on the screen, I was like, I was glued. Like, he's the best part, I think. I haven't watched Belfast. I haven't seen Licorice Pizza, despite the fact that I was pretty hard up on um, West Side Story and you weren't. You saw it and I didn't. You don't have to see all these movies. There's only three to four that are really up for the Oscar. The rest they just threw in for shits and giggles, you know, maybe to like say, hey, you know, Guillermo del Toro, like we really like you as a filmmaker. Please keep making these films. Your Nightmare Alley is in 10th place. <laughs> like, right. It's, it's crazy. You know, the other thing that I think is a problem with this is I don't know if somebody wants to prove me wrong, I think all of these movies, maybe not King Richard, were released after August. A lot of them are released in November, December. Then they send it out and they go, you should watch these films. Some of them are like halfway between theater and streaming, you know, like where you're like, I don't how, how do I watch these films? Why they have like such short term memory and don't remember any film released before August is astounding to me. Yeah, I just God. I just have no interest in Belfast. Surprising, <laughs> surprisingly, I have very little interest in licorice pizza. From what I've seen, all the clips that I've watched, it just feels like a very slice of life, you know, kids from the 70s movie. And I don't know, man, I don't give a shit. <laughs> Well, and that's, we talked a lot about having an everyman on the show. And I was like, I want an everyman for the Oscars thing, because I'd be interested for like the films that we watched that we were excited about. There's very little on this top 10 list. I think the average theater goer really is interested in, you know, it's like some of these films are watched because they're Oscar nominated. A lot of people are going to go out and watch Power of the Dog or stay in and watch Power of the Dog because it's going to probably win Best Picture. But are they going to like it? You know, are they going to, are they doing it because they feel like they have to do their due diligence? A woman that my wife and I work with knows that my wife and I watch a lot of movies and she said, hey, did you and Lee watch Power of the Dog? And my wife was like, he did. I haven't seen it yet. She's like, well, maybe I should talk to him because I don't know what I watched. <laughs> <laughs> 
I guess in that spirit, let me talk about a word of mouth movie, a streaming movie, and one that, like Don't Look Up and Dune, was and still is, you know, finding new audiences and people are loving it. And that movie is called Coda. You're the girl with the deaf family? Yeah. And you sing. Interesting. Something's got a hold on me here. What are you doing next year? Working with my family. Let me tell you now, I've got a feeling I feel so strange. Everything about me seems to have changed. I've been coaching for Berkeley College of Music. I can help you get a scholarship. to have a hearing individual on board at all times. I can't stay with you for the rest of my life. I've never done anything without my family before. I wouldn't mind this one sneaking in and taking Best Picture. It's a word of mouth film, as I said. It also happens to be a streamer, which I said, although I'm not totally sure how many people actually have Apple TV+. Plus. Most importantly, though, it's a heartfelt film about family and loyalty and love, and I don't think you can get too much of that. There's some character and plot contrivances. There's the, you know, the nameless bully girl at school who always shows up to shit in our protagonist salad. Ruby, the protagonist, has this quirky taste in music, which is only shared by her boring love interest. It's like, get the fuck out of here. The spastic, no-nonsense teacher whose unorthodox methods induce that shy protagonist, Ruby, to reach for the stars. It's, I mean, it's so done to death. Give me something else, please. But, and as long as I'm bitching, I, I was absolutely howling with laughter at the idea that a high school choir in Massachusetts, or anywhere in the United States for that matter, is going to sing Marvin Gaye's Let's Get It On without incurring serious ramifications. That principle would be so far up Mr. V's ass that they could sing a very strange duet while sharing the same skin. Not to mention the flock of offended parents and community members. Anyway, criticisms aside, if you don't know, CODA stands for Child of Deaf Adult. And in the second half of the film, the, the story li lives up to that title by putting a focus on Ruby and on the struggle for her to do right by her parents, but also pursue a life of her own. And that's when it took on that actual stake for me. 
we've all felt to some degree or another handcuffed by our parents' wishes. And I assume, though I'm only speculating that most parents have felt at one time or another that their children were rebellious ingrates whose choices were solely designed as flag-waving fuck yous to mom and dad. So there's a lot lot to latch on to. And despite my initial misgivings and the complaints that I've registered here, I actually like this movie. I thought it was sweet and I, I dropped some salt water while I was watching it. I think we could all use a little more sweet and maybe a little bit of salt water in our lives. Well, I mean, I think Best Picture should be the most well-made film that speaks to something going on in our lives at this current moment. And I think family and all that with Coda is one of those, like, I don't necessarily know what I learned about society or myself or anything with Power of the Dog or Nightmare Alley or necessarily Licorice Pizza or West Side, you know, like all these films don't really say anything about today's times where Coda is one that I will be like, yes, I I absolutely agree, should be higher up on the list. Also, I think it's a good recommendation for our audience. If you want to watch an Academy Award nominated film that you might actually like, it's probably Coda. Or this next one, which I can talk about, which is King Richard. A couple of years ago, I started a diet of Wheaties. I, I never would grab a box of Wheaties off the shelf, but I was buying it and ripping through it. And I think it was because Serena was on the box. Every time I saw it, I'm like, I must take her home with me. <laughs> and then as soon as they took her picture, <laughs> as soon as they took her picture off of the box, I quit buying them. Serena is my favorite athlete of the last 20 years. And I felt like eating those Wheaties brought me closer to her. If you don't know, King Richard is about Serena and Venus, their mom and their sisters, but really nobody so much as it is about their father, Richard. And we'll talk about that when we get to Best Actor, but the film is completely made without flair or bravado. Director Ronaldo Marcus Green lets it rip during the tennis matches. Some really good filmmaking during the tennis, but for the most part, he just kind of lets the story and the players take center stage. And man, what a cast. Just great performances all around. Uh, Anjanou Ellis is good. It was nice to see Tony Goldwyn again and Kevin Dunn. I love those guys. I can't remember the last time I saw either of them, especially Goldwyn. And John Bernthal, again, plays that like chatty alpha male character, except Smith keeps getting the best of him. And it's it's great to watch. A special congrats, though, to those two young ladies that play the famous sisters, Demi Singleton and Sanaya Sidney. I didn't watch this movie because I was inter- interested to know what Serena and Venus's father was like. I showed up for Serena and Venus. And those kids that portrayed them and all of their sisters that I didn't know existed, the performances were so endearing and so real. If you were going to recommend to our listening audience, not necessarily the film that's going to win Best Picture, but the film that will win them over the most, what of these 10 would you say? I think King Richard's a better script, but I thought Coda warmed its way into my heart better. You can't go wrong with either of those movies, though. I mean, obviously, King Richard, I don't want to spoil anything because there is one part in King Richard, and it's in like the first 20 minutes of the movie that shocked the fuck out of me. And it's so well, so well done. And all I'll say is it deals with the Williams family was is from Long Beach or Compton. There's a lot of gang activity in and around where they would go and practice tennis. So their dad stands up for one of the older sisters. They All, all the sisters sh- would show up and play tennis, but Richard, played by Will Smith, stands up to one of these guys that's kind of disrespecting his daughter. And there's this little side story that happens. That whole side story is tougher than anything that Coda can throw at you. So I'll just I'll just say King Richard or, or Coda. We'll just we can leave it at that. King Richard or Coda. But I would try and check out both. If you're not looking for something dark, I would skip Nightmare Alley, mm-hmm. which is beautifully made, but it's it's a tough hang. Dude, Kate Blanchett is so fuck I can't believe she's not nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Mr. Carla, come in. Slow day. 
Have you not heard? We're at war. I'm aware. How did you know it was me? What brings you here? You left me your card, didn't you? So, here we are. Oh, not me, I never drink. Microphones. That's right. Wire recorder. Are you recording this? No. My office is wired to record all analysis sessions. You got a smoother line, but you run a racket. Same as me. Is that what this is? Right. I mean, I mean she, she demanded this. Like, that's ridiculously good. Just ridiculously <laughs> good in that movie. That's a great actress. You know, like, that's, that's yes. somebody that earns every single minute of screen time that she gets. Oh, yeah. And, like, the, oh my gosh, wait till you see it in black and white. Like, it is her, the way he films skin. Her. Oh my gosh. It was just <laughs> beautiful. And, like, this is why I recommend it for black and white over the fire. The fire to me in color looked very CGI. In black and white, it looked like almost Sin City. Like when he lights his cigarette and that's pure white with the fire in the background. And then like his face illuminates for like half a millisecond. And I was just like, oh my God, like this is what a black and white movie should be. But even also, let's talk about Richard Jenkins in the film. You could, I couldn't even tell it was him. Like he was so good. He was imposing. And I don't think I would ever say Richard Jenkins is an imposing individual. It makes sense to me why Scorsese liked this movie because it feels very much like the same story you know Kubrick said the great filmmakers keep telling the same story over and over again and how many times has Martin Scorsese given us story about somebody who rises and falls and that's what this movie is this man's arrogance this man's ambition this man's dark past which I guess wasn't in the original story which I actually learned from a podcast that you suggested to me looking California but feeling Minnesota but anyway yeah it's just it feels like something that Scorsese would like because it's essentially telling the same story that he's been telling over and over again the rise and fall of of arrogant violent evil men there was something also about the storytelling that i really liked del toro let the story unfold you know like it wasn't made for this adhd generation where it was like and this happens and this happens and this like i could see studio notes being like you got to get to this quicker you got to get to this quicker and he doesn't and i was like i went to the movies and this was the second out of a three movie marathon and i god bless you late oh my gosh i like laid back in my chair and i was like this is great the third movie was house of gucci that i wanted to walk out on (laughs) (laughs) we'll get to that so that was best picture and i think we summed it up quite well power of the dog probably gonna win coda king richard probably gonna be the movies that you enjoy and maybe don't look up if you really like loud movies (laughs) (laughs) i think it's it's interesting too that power of the dog is the i mean i'm not saying don't watch power of the dog this this might be the first year that netflix walks home Mm -hmm. with a best picture so i'm not saying don't watch it but just understand that you're going into something very cerebral and it's going to turn a lot of people off yeah because i know there was a couple of people that came up to me and was like is is drive my car going to be like the next parasite and i'm like drive my car is three hours long Uh, (laughs) since you brought up drive my car we can we can segue into best director because 
the director of uh, Drive My Car, Raisuki Hamaguchi, is up for Best Director, which, definitely a shock. Uh, did not expect this movie to be A, nominated for Best Director, or B, nominated for Best Picture. So the other nominees are Kenneth Branagh for Belfast, Paul Thomas Anderson for Licorice Pizza, Jane Campion, The Power of the Dog, and Steven Spielberg for West Side Story. Who may never win an Oscar for directing? <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson. Poor dude, who kind of probably most definitely should have been nominated here, Denis Villeneuve. And if you're among the very angry nerds who think that Denis got shafted, Spro, I believe you have some some salve for that burn. Are we talking about the fact that this is just a part one and he'll probably be nominated for part two? Y- yes, that's that's I'm, the salve I was talking about. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, it's just that's that's just what happens, peeps. <laughs> like, like, I'm surprised that Dune Part One was nominated for Best Picture. Like, you got to just be happy with that. Really, I think Hamaguchi is shooed in because he got the Best Picture nomination. You know, gotcha. I think it's just one of those like hand hand and hand and foot is that the same hand in hand hand and foot hand in hand <laughs> foot and mouth <laughs> i really so i wasn't the greatest fan of paul thomas anderson when it came to episode 201 with jeremy licorice pizza on half you know half the days of the week would probably be my favorite that i watched of his there's just one thing about it that truly unsettles me and really the one thing is the plot of the movie <laughs> It's about a 15-year-old boy falling in love with a 28-year-old girl. Right. And they casted it great with unknowns, actors that can play the parts. And they casted a bigger male and a smaller female. So as you're watching this story, you don't get skeeved out like kind of when you're watching, you know, a teacher on Hulu with Kate Mara grooming a student. But in the same instance, that's what we're watching. That greatly unsettled me when it came to Licorice Pizza. Although everything else was fantastic. I'm cooler than you. Don't forget it. I don't need you to tell me whether I'm cool or not, old lady. What was that? I said, lady. I said, m'lady. What my lady. I don't need you to tell me whether I'm cool or not. You're not cool, and your breath smells. All right, so who already seems like a lock to win this one? Oh, it's Campion. Campion. I mean, she's in complete control here of not only this category, but of the movie, Power of the Dog. And I think it's definitely her most visually arresting film. I think Ari Wagner, like you, should have a chance of winning Best Cinematography. And I'd really like to see Johnny Greenwood win his first Oscar for Best Original Score. But it sounds like Dune may already have those awards sewn up for Hans Zimmer and Greg Frazier, respectively. But if Jane Campion were to win, this would be the third female Best Director Oscar ever given out. It would be Campion's first. I asked a friend of mine who who requested, I absolutely not mention their name here due to the contentious nature of these opinions. I, I said to this person, I'm very excited to see Campion grab the statue, to which they replied, I wish that she wouldn't. This person said, for me, her nom is such a political move, which is a shame because literally everyone else deserves to win much more. I'm not saying she did a bad job, no, but for me, it's not anything spectacular. I personally just think that recently the Academy is praising a lot of women just because they are women. And then this person brought up Nomadland and Chloe Zhao Zhe. I still can't remember how to say her last name. Zhao. And in the meantime, a lot more talented directors are left with nothing because they are men. It's horribly <laughs> unfair. So do you? are you beginning to see why this person didn't want me to mention them by name? <laughs> 
it's a hard opinion to to hear and it makes me think of that portlandia song what about men <laughs> but at the same time i see why the overcorrection might leave a bad taste in somebody's mouth i don't think it's a discussion with a right or a wrong answer i just i think it's a discussion do i think campion deserves it sure and i think you could make an argument that denis deserves it i think you can make an argument that Paul Thomas Anderson deserves it or that Hamaguchi deserves it. I don't think you can make an argument that Spielberg deserves it, but whatever. What do you think, Mr. Mr. Spro? For one, like if I look back at what this person said, that there are so many people that deserve it such so much more. I don't think that is necessarily true, at least this year. I think that Power of the Dog, when I watched it, I was like, I'm on record with the last episode saying that I don't necessarily agree that it's best picture for the pure reason. I learned nothing from it, really, in the end. I got to sit down and I got to see some pretty pictures pictures and that is what i really liked about the film that's director meets cinematographer to me it is one of the most beautiful films shot visualized this year i don't necessarily look at like somebody has to point out to me that jane campion is a female for me to be like oh yeah that might be a thing (laughs) this year that people are going to talk about but like i don't give a fuck if uh, a a film director is male female non-binary whatever you know like if it's well shot and if somebody wants to celebrate the fact that women are winning these awards good for them I just hope it's the best person and the best work that is awarded. The Lost Daughter got screwed, though. Not Maggie Gyllenhaal, per se. If we want to talk about Spielberg for a second, he is still a very good director at what he does. It's just the projects that he does suck. (laughs) There is no reason to remake West Side Story. There's no reason for Hollywood to regale the remake of West Side Story. And... That's all that there really needs to be said about that. Did he correct some wrongs from the 1960s version? Of course he did. Did he correct them all? No, he did not. Why are you going to do it if you're not going to correct all the wrongs is beyond me. But we don't have to get into that. I don't want to be as negative. Everything sucks. Just kidding. (laughs) All right. Well, let's move on then to best actor in a leading role. Okay. Okay. Javier Bardem for being the Ricardos, Benedict Cumberbatch for The Power of the Dog, Andrew Garfield for Tick, Tick, Boom, Will Smith for King Richard, and Denzel Washington for The Tragedy of Macbeth. Let's start with who's the most lovable nominee. I think it's Andrew Garfield. He was really good in Tick, Tick, Boom. He really poured himself into that role. Um, the title comes from Larson's, Larson being Jonathan Larson, if you don't know. The movie is about the guy that wrote Rent and his caffeinated anxiety that time is running out. Garfield captured that really well and made me worried. He delivers really gassed up high-speed performance, and it's another step in a promising career. I think the scenes with him and Robin DeJesus, who plays his best friend Michael, were the most memorable parts of the movie. Decaffeinated tea. Oh, 
songs are good. The other half really didn't grab me. But as a friend asked me, isn't that true of most musicals? I said, fair enough. I really enjoyed Tick, Tick, Boom. It was funny because as I was watching Andrew Garfield be Jonathan Larson, like I was like, "Am I, I'm really liking this. And I hope he nabs an Oscar nom. I, I think I would be okay if he got the Oscar award. But if we're going to be 100% transparent, don't know if that's because Emma Stone is his ex. And I feel like he deserves <laughs> a Best Actor award for Tick, Tick, Boom over her getting one for La La Land in that <laughs> musical. I think Tick, Tick, Boom is a much better movie than La La Land. Who's probably going to win this one? Will Smith. This is far and away his most impressive performance, I think. And that's because this is a complex role. I'm hard-pressed to think of a character, fictional or otherwise, that King Richard reminded me of. I don't think that there are any. It's only fair to say that the whole cast is superb, and it seems that they tried to disguise the Will Smith show by surrounding him with tons of talent, but he just dominates every scene that he's in. He plays this frustrating man with a drive I can only understand from the child's point of view, and they all seem to be pretty cool with him. He has the capacity to be noble and irritating in the same moment, and I believe he did have his children's best interests at heart, but at the same time, there's a lot of truth to what Rick Machi says to him. Just like this movie is the Will Smith show, their lives were the Richard Williams show. If Will Smith wins this year, that's that's the end of our political chain, like he deserved it this year. And Yeah, nice. I think so. What's going on? Everybody okay? They got a call, said there was trouble in the house. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, you all need to look around. It's a little wet for practice, don't you think? Don't the girls have schoolwork to do? They do their homework. Tundi's first in her class. Lynn and Isha are too. Now I don't even mind you saying we hard on these kids. You know why? Because we are. That's our job, to keep them off these streets. You want to check on the kids? Let's check on the kids. We got future doctors and lawyers plus a couple tennis stars in this house. The chances of achieving the kind of success that you're talking about is just very, very unlikely. Okay, you're making a mistake, but I'm gonna let you make it. Watch me hit a few balls. All right. So tell me your names again. I'm Venus. I'm Serena. So what'd you think? I wrote me a 78-page plan for their whole career before they was even born. Yeah, baby, yeah! These girls so great, how come I've never heard of them? They're from Compton. It's okay. They're just not used to seeing good-looking peoples like us. She's nervous. Take a step up. Maybe she ought to take a few more steps up. Just get someplace safe. I think you might just have the next Michael Jordan. Oh, no, brother man. I got me the next, too. This next step you got to take. You're not going to just be representing you. You're going to be representing every little black girl on earth. They're not going to let you doubt. How could you? This world ain't never had no respect for Richard Williams, but they're going to respect y'all. You walk out there with your head up. You are a champion, and the whole world knows it. The most dangerous creature on this whole earth. It's a woman who know how to think. Yes, Daddy. Ain't nothing she can't do. You gonna show them how dangerous you are? Venus and Serena gonna shake up this world. Venus Williams, who is your best friend? Hey, Daddy. Serena Williams, who is your best friend? Venus. 
Then you. Then you. So who has an outside chance? Benedict Cumberbatch. He won the New York and Chicago Film Critics Best Actor Award. Uh, I'm going to bet a wooden nickel, though, that he goes home empty-handed. No biggie. I think he'll be around for a while, unless it turns out he went to Epstein Island or enjoys eating people. I mean, he could eat people. Arnie Hammer is in Kenneth Branagh's new film, so... (laughs) (laughs) The uh, one question about Benedict in Power of the Dog. Did he scare you? Like, did he intimidate you? I feel like he was supposed to be intimidating. I think he's just a bully. You know, the character of Cody Smith McPhee breaks down that character's defenses and he becomes, he softens a little bit. No, he didn't scare me. I wanted like a more physically imposing man in that role. I got you. But in the same instance, can't comment on people's physical appearances. So that this one seems sewn up, which takes us to our next award, which also seems sewn up, which is Best Actress. We have Jessica Chastain for The Eyes of Tammy Faye, Olivia Coleman for The Lost Daughter, Penelope Cruz for Parallel Mothers, Nicole Kidman for Being the Ricardos, and Kristen Stewart for Spencer. Who deserves it? I haven't seen Parallel Mothers. I have read lots and lots of reviews on her on Penelope Cruz's performance, but I have seen the other four. And I think they all deserve it to some degree or another. There, there isn't one shitty nomination here. Did anybody get left off the list? Some folks say Jodie Comer. Some folks That'd say- That'd be me. <laughs> Some folks say Jennifer Hudson for playing Aretha Franklin. She had a late push. And there's even a small camp who believes that Lady Gaga got robbed of her second Best Actress nomination. She's in House of Gucci, for anybody that doesn't know. Hey, Spro, is there anything you'd like to say about Ms. Gaga, House of Gucci, and Best Actress? I don't consider myself a particularly ethical person, but I am fair. But I cannot wrap my head around is people who steal just for ego or the pleasure of it for personal satisfaction jesus christ this bit look i know there's a lot of what are they like monsters little monsters like whatever fans are called lady gaga she's one of those people where if she's not getting everything she wants in the world that's unfair to say because i don't know if lady gaga even gives a shit about the academy awards but the fans certainly did and they wanted to roast the academy awards over a fire over this performance that was just not it House of Gucci was a te- uh, not a terrible film. Here's my problem with Ridley Scott. <laughs> and he's not nominated for anything, and deservedly so. We have a film that's set in Italy, much like The Last Duel, not set in any English-speaking country. You have non-English-speaking characters, and yet everybody is speaking English. Like, that's the first rub. And people are like, well, they're not going to see it if, if it's casted with a bunch of Italians. Drive My Car is up for Best Picture. That's full Japanese film. The hottest TV shows on Netflix right now are Korean. So yes, the audiences will go out to see things now in foreign languages and read subtitles. I know there's a big contingent of people out there in the world that are now putting subtitles on every show that they watch. Subtitles are not the end-all be-all that they were 10, 20 years ago. The only thing Lady Gaga did that kind of like surprised me in this film was that she had really aggressive sex scenes. But other than that, I was like, I don't know what the Academy is seeing, which granted like takes an actress, it takes a lot of courage to do that. And so sometimes they will reward somebody for bearing it on the screen. But that's the only thing that I could see that, you know, the Academy might have looked at. Now, with all that said, about who was nominated, this is the 
I'm surprised that you said it was a lock. This is the one that like I've been watching that like people have been jumping around a lot. And currently on one of my favorite Academy Awards uh, prediction sites, Olivia Coleman is in number one. Good. Uh, with Nicole Kidman, two, Jessica Chastain, three, Kristen Stewart, four, and Penelope Cruz, five. Well, who do we like? I like Olivia Coleman. I think you would agree. I've already said this is the award season movie that stuck with me the most, despite it being an adaptation. Everything about this movie feels deeply personal for everybody involved. Um, this one was adapted for the screen and directed by Maggie Gyllenhaal, has Olivia Coleman, Dakota Johnson, Jesse Buckley, Ed Harris, and Degmara Domacek. Everybody in this movie is stupendous. Photography's crazy good. Gyllenhaal brings this script to life with great style and confidence of like a lifelong filmmaker. So Gyllenhaal puts Lita, played by Olivia Coleman and Jesse Buckley, under a microscope. She doesn't have any room to move. The camera's always right in her face, revealing everything and strangely nothing at all at the same time. Lita's kind of unreadable. She's secretive. She's strange. All the characters really are to some degree or another. But Lita, whose journey we're meant to follow, feels a bit like a cat that you love intensely and unconditionally, but who only kind of likes you back and you don't really see him too often. I really felt this movie, which is odd, I think, because I'm not a mother. In fact, I'm not even a father, but I've wrestled with the reluctance to be a parent, despite my desire to raise at least one little person. And this movie about a mother who's like, fuck this. I just got it. Or it got me. One of the two. Maybe both. This is the one that I wanted to win Best Picture because it speaks so much about what we are currently going through. And it's not a popular topic. It's not a popular topic still to be like, you cannot have doubts or reservations about being a mother. <laughs> still, like you're going to be harshly judged. And I feel like this film, for what it is representing, is harshly judged by the Academy Awards. You say Maggie Gyllenhaal, you know, brings the confidence of a lifelong filmmaker, even though this is her first film. From what we have heard, what I've read, the interviews that I've listened to dealing with Maggie Gyllenhaal, we have a friend who works in close proximity with her. She seems like she is just one of those students of of the craft that you know doesn't take anything lightly like she is there to make great films and i'm so excited that she you know showed up on the scene in the director's chair with the lost daughter and i can't wait to see what she does next me too we also like kristen stewart maybe me a little bit more than spro now i like kristen stewart okay kristen stewart plays princess diana in spencer which interestingly enough i watched it once and it keeps, it's been swirling around in my head just in the same way that Jackie did. So I don't know. I have antipathy towards the elite classes and maybe that's just human nature. But I appreciate Pablo Lorraine making two films, first Jackie and now this, <laughs> where he's made me understand them and hate them even more. <laughs> this is another story about an elite woman from the Western world. And he does a great job of showing what it's like being sucked into the spotlight and those public and private hells that these women live. In season one, like I said, we talked about Lorraine's 2016 film, Jackie, where Portman, Natalie Portman, plays the newly widowed first lady. We even gave Portman the Oscar. In Spencer, Kristen Stewart plays an emotionally compromised Princess Di, who despite being almost constantly on the verge of a panic attack, walks willingly into Sandringham Estate to uh, celebrate the Christmas holiday with her unwelcoming in-laws. I think with Spencer, Lorraine's made a more engaging movie than Jackie, but it's not saying much because these movies are very, 
how would you, what word would you use to describe? I don't know. There aren't really historical pieces or biopics. They're kind of more akin to like psychological horror. They're very slow moving psychological horror. But so Jackie shows the horrific aftermath of a traumatic event, the assassination of JFK. And Spencer depicts this cornered woman in the throes of a mental collapse. There's no real plot to speak of. It's more of situation after situation. And really to that point, I think Lorraine could have luxuriated a little less on some of his shots, but you know, what the fuck do I know? He's a very talented filmmaker who makes these beautiful movies that are a struggle for people to get through. I prefer Spencer to Jackie, but the leading ladies in both of these films are superb. Um, and speaking specifically on Stewart, ever since I saw her in Panic Room, I knew she was going to be amazing. And it took a while. And there might be some that argue that she hasn't quite reached amazing status yet, but this is certainly her best work yet. Mommy, why do we have to open our presents on Christmas Eve? Why not Christmas Day like everybody else? You know, at school, you do tenses. Yeah. yeah. It's the past, the present, the future. Right. Well, here, there is only one tense. There is no future. The past and the present are the same thing. Daddy told Harriet's book's father Christmas does Queens and Kings the day before everybody else. So that we get the best present. It's true. He still believes it, though. What? <sighs> but actually, that was my little fabrication. I believe, Mommy. Daddy did confirm it, though. Oh, if Daddy confirmed it, then it must be true. Yes, of course it is. You two are both going to get coal for Christmas. <gasps> Can we go to the house where you used to live? It's boarded up. It's dangerous, apparently. They said, it's dangerous, you know. Oh. Those voices, like doors closing. Did Granny order that? Is there controversy here <laughs> about the fact that, like, I'm just thinking back to your friend's quote about Jane Campion and women. Like, Power of the Dog is about men, right? The Lost Daughter is about women, snubbed. Spencer, about a woman and her trials and tribulations, that's snubbed. But, you know, you got films like... Mothers. But that's not nominated for Best Picture. Right. That's my point. Like, Spencer's oh, yeah. not nominated. Yeah, I was, I was, I was helping so you this out. Is, <laughs> oh, thanks. This isn't the women's year. You know, like the films about women are still not reaching the top cult status because Licorice Pizza follows the boy, the boy's story. King Richard, of course, you went to see it because of Serena Williams, but yet it's a film about their father. Yeah. Like, I don't know. There's something to say about that. I, probably. I don't like to like really delve into the controversies, but it's, it's kind of obvious. Um, yeah, I never thought of it. I really liked Spencer. I'm if we're going to talk snubs for like the lesser awards, very surprised this was not nominated for best production design or best costume design. I was like, I'm interested to hear your opinion on Spencer. I thought it was beautiful, like not necessarily the story or anything like that. But Kristen Stewart's interactions with the young Prince Harry and Prince William, by far some of my favorite scenes of the movie. It's the it's the horror elements that kind of stick with you the most. Oh, yeah. But anytime she was interacting with her children on screen, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is just amazing. It's quite sweet. And I'm glad that now anytime ta somebody talks about Kristen Stewart, they're going to say Academy Award nominated. So who am I afraid? Or I don't know. You may share this opinion. Who am I afraid may never win an Oscar? I don't share this opinion. Oh, good. Jessica Chastain. <laughs> I, I fear that she may not. She just keeps piling up these performances. And this year's her or last year's her work as as Tammy Faye. Tammy Faye, the persona of Tammy Faye was always a punchline when we were kids. 
she was never burned into my brain so much as maybe the stereotype caricature impersonations of her were. So I was able to watch this movie without constantly comparing that performance to the real Tammy Faye. I'm just so impressed with the subtlety that Chastain brings to every role. You can't take your eyes off of, I mean, every contour on her face, it all feels so purposeful. She does it so well. This movie tries to reframe that punchline image a little bit by pitting her against the men in the religious shyster community. I don't know what the <laughs> Pat Robertson, Jerry Falwell, and even her own husband, Jim Baker. According to the film, Faye's Christian ideals were a little bit more progressive than her male counterparts, and she's kind of taken to task by them. For one, being a woman with opinions and not just sitting there and shutting the fuck up, and two, refusing to damn homosexuals as was expected of her. Okay, do you want a little remover? Oh no. That's it. That'd be all. They're permanently lined. Oh. And my eyes are permanently lined, and my eyebrows are permanently on, so the, there's not a whole lot you can do. <laughs> my goodness, I, I didn't know. Have you never done pictures without those eyelashes? Nope, nope, and I never will, because that's my trademark. And, you know, if I take that away, then it's not me. And no one's going to want to look at me without my trademark, so I hold on to that. Even if we soften them up no. and kept... No, you can do anything you want. But my eyelashes stay right where they are. That's really you. Mm. Oh, yeah, this is who I am. <laughs> and I think her performance, Olivia Coleman's performance, Kristen Stewart's performance are all better than the person who's probably going to win, which is fucking Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman's won Best Actress before when she portrayed Virginia Woolf in The Hours. I don't think she's a bad actress. I thought she was fine in this movie. The acting is superb, especially Nina Arianda as Vivian Vance. And to see Tony Hale playing a role other than Buster Bluth was also a blast. But to that point, I felt Kidman's performance was kind of lost, though, in all of that ensemble. And how about this? If I'm Aaron Sorkin, I'm casting somebody like Tina Fey or Kristen Wiig to play Lucy, somebody with comedic chops. And certainly not because this movie calls for it. It doesn't. This movie is about the business mind of Lucille Ball, the PR mind, the type A mind. It's not about her funny bone. But... I just think it would have been more interesting, especially when the script starts to pick at the scabs of this person, Lucille Ball, that we all know only really is hilarious. It would have made it so much cooler, so much more poignant or shocking or interesting to see Tina Fey simultaneously shed her own persona alongside that iconic star that she could have portrayed. Bottom line is, I think Kidman is, is a good actor. I never felt sucked in. I, I didn't believe it. I just felt like Kidman was reading Sorkin dialogue and the movie was so forgettable. Absolutely agree. And I, I really like your choice actually with Kristen Wiig as the actress in the role because we know she can do drama um, and she is one of the funniest women working today. Being the Ricardos reminded me of Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip and the horrible skits that he wrote for the Saturday Night Live-ish show in that movie. That's what it seemed like he was doing here. Nothing against Aaron. I love Aaron Sorkin. He's my favorite writer, I think, working today. Although he's starting to be a little Spielbergian where it's like these projects just aren't it, you know? Stop directing your own work. It's a very collaborative medium. Find the directors that work with you. You know, like his pairing with David Fincher was amazing. But him directing, what was it? Trial of the Chicago 7? Mm -hmm. Was that last year or two that years was, ago? That was last year. Jesus. <laughs> Being the Ricardo's last or this year and then... Even Molly's Game, that stars our girl Jessica Chastain, for being such a great writer, he is not living up to that bar as a director. And I think I think he needs to stop. 
<laughs> and just let somebody else manhandle his work. Would you be okay with Nicole Kidman winning? No. Okay. I mean, it's there's nothing to this. You know, like, I don't even think there was a whole lot of times when I was like, oh, I'm watching Lucy. Like, I thought I was always kind of watching Nicole Kidman playing Lucy. I don't want to totally shit on it. I just, I don't know, man. I, I just would have preferred, you want to tell me about the real person? Then just give me a documentary. I'm so tired of biopics. <laughs> just... And I know that this one isn't terribly conventional, but it's it's like Spencer didn't feel like they were setting out to like, here's the real story. Spencer just feels like a like a contemplation on womanhood. This feels like we're gonna dress up like it's the fifties and make believe. I'm I'm over it. I'm fucking over it, man. <laughs> I mean, it feels like what Sorkin just has been doing, you know, like finding an interesting thing in history and then, you know, like writing a script around it. Like this is like the Steve Jobs. This is Trial of the Chicago 7. This is, you know, like he's just doing these historical fiction. I don't Historical fiction? Historical real? Whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. Fictional realism historicity. Yeah. And it's just weird that like this year, you know, there was the eyes of Tammy Faye and being the Ricardos and Anne Spencer. You know, like it seems like, and even the I movie The Eyes of Tammy Faye, it's not that great of a movie. But Jessica Chastain is so much more compelling, just a way more interesting character study and a better performance. It's like Nicole Kidman is she's always been very poised, right? Put together, shoulders back, and everything like that. And so, I guess in the end, I just hope Olivia Coleman goes home with it, and Kristen Stewart has a fun time at the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> so from actress to best supporting actress, your nominees are Jesse Buckley for The Lost Daughter, Ariana DeBose for West Side Story, Judy Dench for Belfast, Kirsten Dunst for The Power of the Dog, and Anjanou Ellis for King Richard. The clear front runner here, again, this is another one of those categories, and you were talking about it at the beginning, I'm going to talk about it at the end. It just feels like no one else is even getting a chance on some of these. It's Ariana DeBose. I think I go back to San Juan. I know about you can get Everyone there will give big cheer. Hey! Everyone there would have moved here. If you're paying attention and going through the critics and, and the people that are trying to predict the awards, I have Ariana DeBose on 17 gonna win lists. Whoa. Kirsten Dunst on one. Whoa. And nobody else even showing up. So, which is weird because Jesse Buckley is amazing in The Lost Daughter. I almost wondered if Dakota Johnson was going to get a nom for The Lost Daughter. And I did not like anything about West Side Story when I first saw the trailer. I was like, why are they remaking this? And then it was Spielberg and did it like, and I was, this was the first movie I saw in my three movie marathon with just walking into the theater with the shittiest attitude about the movie. I walked away being like, I can't argue against uh, Ariana winning for Best Supporting Actress. She was amazing in the film. She is by and far the best thing about the film. And anytime that she is on screen, I am just hardly blinking. Absolutely, this should be a lock. If Ariana DeBose seals the very real deal, I do believe that this is the first time that the same role, ostensibly, will have won the same Oscar two times. 60 years ago, the lovely Rita Moreno won Best Supporting Actress for playing Anita in the original film adaptation of West Side Story. DuBose winning this year would mean that the character of Anita had won two Oscars. 
which goes a long way to make the argument that roles win awards rather than acting. But in addition, DeBose would also become the first openly gay and the first Afro-Latina actor to win an Academy Award for acting. The original West Side Story remains my favorite musical. It's got a lot to do with the character of Anita and Moreno's performance. As a young man, I was quite taken with her, and that's why my favorite number from the show will always be America. And even though I was more open to this remake than you, Spro, I haven't seen it yet, and you have. I can't wait to see it just just to see what everybody is crowing about. I'd, of course, I'd be happy as hell for Jesse Buckley to win, but it's not happening. And I gotta say, I wasn't happy to see Ruth Nega shut out for her performance in Passing. Nega is a fucking movie star, and we need to start treating her that way. I'm still contemplating my thoughts on this, so I won't talk about it for too long. But when I was thinking about what the Academy Awards did not nominate, I went all the way back because the Academy Awards are getting campaigned by these huge movie studios, right? So what's the opposite of the huge movie studios? It's the independent films that are getting put out there. So then I went to the Independent Spirit Awards. Ruth Nega was up for Best Supporting Actress in the Independent Spirit Awards. And also, The Lost Daughter was one of like the best pictures. At some point, I want to be like, how do we create the perfect movie awards show? And a lot of it is going to be looking at every awards show and seeing what they get right and what they get wrong. But the people that know about Ruth Nega know, you know, and the people that don't will someday, I feel. Let's hope so. Well, I don't have much to say on this next category, which is Best Supporting Actor. We have Kieran Hines for Belfast, Troy Coetzer from CODA, Jesse Plemons from The Power of the Dog, J.K. Simmons from Being the Ricardos, and Cody Smith-McPhee from The Power of the Dog. As with the other supporting Oscar, this one feels like it's a foregone conclusion that it's going to McPhee for his role in Power of the Dog, which if you've seen the movie, it's a pretty pivotal role. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's a two-person race. I, according to my sites, it's Cody Smith-McPhee versus Troy for CODA, but I don't think, even though those are the only two getting any kind of recognition, and really, you know, like if I'm going to shit on being the Ricardos, I really like J.K. Simmons in that role. Probably like the most enjoyable part of that movie to me. And really, it's J.K. Simmons. He's almost always the most enjoyable part in any film that he is in. Little surprised at the Jesse Plemons nod. I'm not going to shit on him. I want him in one of my movies. So like, but it didn't seem like his role had a whole lot for him to do. He's always, maybe it's the subtlety in what he was doing because his character's demeanor was, you know, even keeled throughout the whole movie. That's, he always is. I feel like he constantly plays the exact same character. I wouldn't mind Troy Kotzer from CODA. He plays the protagonist Ruby's father and has one of, if not the best scenes in the movie. He's very, very good. I think that would be cool to see him win, but sounds like McPhee's got this one. It's not exciting to tune in when you know what's going to happen. Every two years, they talk about, oh, you know, nobody's watching the Olympics anymore. And it's because they don't keep the secret. We know who wins before the events happen because they happen at like 3 a.m. our time. You wake up and they're like, Michael Phelps won three races last night. Watch him do it at 8 p.m. There's one website that I always go to, and I'm not going to tell you what it is because I run a uh, Academy Awards pool and I don't want people knowing all of my secrets. But just to go back and see how right this website is at predicting the Academy Awards, we are recording this in mid-February. And of course, the Academy Awards are at the end of March. So here we go. Best Picture, Power of the Dog. Best Director, Jane Campion. Best Actress, Olivia Colman. Best Actor, Will Smith. Best Supporting Actress, Ariana DeBose. Best Supporting Actor, Cody Smith-McPhee. Best Adapted Screenplay, Power of the Dog. Best Original Screenplay, Licorice Pizza. Best Cinematography, 
Dune. Best Costume Design, Cruella. Best Film Editing, Dune. Best Makeup and Hairstyling, The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Best Production Design, Dune. Best Score, Dune. Best Song, No Time to Die from No Time to Die. Best Sound, Dune. Best Visual Effects, Dune. Best Animated Feature, Encanto. Best Documentary Feature, Summer of Soul. Best International Film, Drive My Car. Best Animated Short, Robin Robin. Best Documentary Short, The Queen of Basketball. Best Live Action Short, The Long Goodbye. Those are all the same ones that I found on the site that I went to. And you know, as soon as this all goes down, right, The Power of the Dog is going to win Best Picture and Dune's going to win like six Academy Awards. And people will be like, how does it win six Academy Awards and not win Best But You know, it's going to be one of those. I mean, that, hap- that happened with Star Wars. That happened with Raiders of the Lost Ark. I don't know why people are pissing and moaning about it now. It does bring <laughs> me to... Uh, a point that I wanted to make, which is right alongside the point that you were trying to make. Every year, there's clear <laughs> there's clear front runners, there's clear front runners in in certain categories every year, right? And in some cases, there are certain awards where it's glaringly obvious who's going to win. But as you stated this year, it really that feeling seems exaggerated. I can't ever recall a year like this when it seemed as though so many of the Academy Awards were already engraved and resting on mantles. So I decided to look back over the last five years of Oscar winners in the top categories, picture, director, actor, actress, and writing. And then I cross-checked those winners with what the online publications were saying at the time, as well as the Vegas odds predictions. I'm not very good at math, but I found that approximately 95% of the time, Vegas odds predict the winners. And the winners that they predict are the same as the ones that the media has been picking for weeks or even months. Occasionally, something slips past the goalies. Last year, Chadwick Boseman losing Best Actor to Anthony Hopkins. I was a little surprised. Or when Parasite upset 1917 and won Best Picture and Best Director. I was more than a little surprised by that one. I think we all were. But my God, when Moonlight lost Best Picture and then won Best Picture, I dropped an Emma Stone in my La La Lands. Great. Great. As you said, there's nothing dazzling about watching someone who expected to win, win. I'm going to be happy for them, I suppose, maybe, but I'm mostly just going to be wondering how much of this accolade belongs to the studio's campaigns and the media's support and compliance in said campaigns. I hope that all the snarky writers, all the shiny TV people, all the mediocre podcasters end up dead wrong. Dead wrong. I hope that some of these studio campaigns bear no fruit. I hope the Academy voters prove the media has no influence over their tastes, and I hope sincerely that more than one or two of these awards aren't already spoken for. I mean, there is one award that we don't even know who the nominated are, and that's the Twitter Popular Award. I can't decide whether or not I want to talk about it or not, because people are up in arms about it. If you read over social media, there's people that are like, way to go. You finally killed the Oscars. (laughs) And it's like, (laughs) I don't know if they did that. But it is, it's like the one subreddit about box office when the Avengers Endgame was in theaters. They were constantly computing at the end of every week how much more money Endgame had made in hopes that it would beat Avatar internationally, which it did. And then they re-released Avatar and Avatar, I think, is back on top. But why do you care? Do you literally have nothing else going on in your life that you're like, come on, guys, everybody, I've seen it five times. I laid down. It's like, what the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? So like my my host for Second Chance Cinema MC texted after one of our, I think it was our last episode. It was like, I was surprised to hear you say that like Marvel isn't art. Where is Spro with his Michael Bay takes of like, Michael Bay is an artist, all those takes like that. And I was like, the thing about what Disney is doing now, it, it's more pandering. They're not giving me what they think is great. They're giving me what they think I want. Michael Bay, I will always say he, he's got his own style. I mean, he's made fun of 
immensely for how many explosions he puts in a movie. And he goes, fuck you. I want explosions. I'm going to put explosions in my movie. He's not, you know, like that's an artist. Like that's somebody that's like, you know, Picasso was like, I'm not going to paint your face the way I see it. I'm going to paint it with, you know, cubes and triangles. Like people that are giving you what they want to give you, the Tarantinos, the Scorsese's, the James Cameron's, you know, like these are artists. Spider-Man No Way Home was fanfare and like and really that was just to make money and congratulations they did and I'm surprised that this Twitter award is is even a thing mainly because it's on Twitter (laughs) (laughs) it's like the most vitriol and like who's to say that Disney is not gonna create a whole bunch of bots that just you know vote 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 for Spider-Man No Way Home I have no idea all I know is that when I when Variety posts an article about how great no way home is doing and somebody comments on it and says it's not that great of a movie that person is roasted in like (laughs) five minutes by 30 different people that are just like putting laugh icons on them and be like haha you must have not watched it you know like and it's like where are all these people coming from (laughs) like i don't understand i don't know what's real now on the internet and really to be like we're gonna have a most popular film award and it's gonna be voted on by the internet like and you can vote multiple times i think it it, twitter even encouraged you there was a number attached to it it's like you can vote up to four times or up to ten times it's like why Just collect one IP address and one vote. Why are you letting... Whatever. I don't care. I don't care. If it makes them feel seen and happy, great. Fine. Just put the biggest box office award. You know, like, just do that. Like, and the film that, you know, sold the most tickets. Here it is. Because that's going to be your popular film award. Maybe not biggest box office all the time. I don't know. It'd be interesting to go back through all the years and be like, what do we think would have won the Twitterverse award this year? Are the people... You don't think it would be the biggest... Well, I mean, are all the people... People that are laying down money also active on Twitter. How funny would it be if they do this Twitterverse thing? And really, at the end of the day, it's that one film that you were talking about last week because China got in there and went, all right, this is how we're going to manipulate the Academy Awards. And it's suddenly, what was that film's name? Battle at Lake Shangjin. Yeah. What if that wins? You know, how on fire would these Spider-Man fans? Well, I mean, <laughs> set the world. Who is vetting the votes too? Like it could win, but I doubt very highly the Academy is going to be like the winner is the Battle of Lake Shangjin. They'll be like, nah, it's Spider-Man. Who yeah. Knows? Well, I mean, there's that, and there's also the fact that ah, I just can't believe that the voting is happening on the social media site that like spread QAnon theories. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like the conspiracy theory theory social media page. It's crazy. I like to be in America. Okay, by me in America. Everything free in America. For a small fee in America. Well, those are our picks, like it or not. The 94th Academy Awards ceremony is March 27th at 8 p.m. Eastern on ABC. You know, if you got some time, check out a few of these movies before the curtain rises. The show's always a little more exciting if you've got skin in the game. And one has to expect that after last year's Oscars, this one's going to try a little harder not to be terrible, but who knows. As for Spro and I, we'll be watching and then moving forward with season three of Take on the Academy, which we've got fully sketched out. Our next step is watching about 75 movies, reading a handful of scripts, and writing roughly 200 
500 pages of copy and I can't fucking wait. And then in about five months time, we'll be back with eight new episodes for you. Plenty of guests to keep us honest. Sproul will bring his wit and charm. I'll bring my special brand of repellent snark and condescension. And most of all, we hope you'll bring your ears to enjoy whatever we come up with. In the interim, we ask you again, dear listeners, to share the show with people who might dig it. Subscribe, rate, review, reach out to us with questions, complaints, requests, all that mess and a little more. This show is a labor of love, no doubt, but it makes our little day when people chime in. So please keep your feedback coming. On March 27th, we hope that you'll be sitting front row when the envelopes are read. And we'll see you in season three. I mean